You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone knows what it feels like to be judged. Someone else makes us feel small. You know, maybe you've, you've walked into a room and someone looks at you out of the corner of their eye or looks down their nose. Maybe it's a, a new social setting or a new job or a new school. or We know what it feels like to be made to feel small, don't we? And we wonder what it is. Maybe they don't like our clothes. Maybe they don't like our new hairdo. Maybe it's the accent. Maybe it's where we're from. We don't know what it is. Our mind wanders. We just know that we know what it feels like to experience that judgmentalism. We're less likely to be honest about the fact that we sometimes do that to other people. We're far more likely to rationalize and justify our own judgmentalism. Well, James will have none of that. As we draw near to uh, the end of our journey through this book of the New Testament, James wants us to reckon with the reality of judgmentalism. He wants us to understand now that the problem isn't new. It goes all the way back. He dealt with it in the first century. We deal with it in the 21st century. James wants his hearers to understand that the solution to playing the role of the judge, creating our own standards, is to keep our eyes on Jesus and acknowledge the reality that he is our true judge, the one true judge of all things. James wants his hearers to understand this imperative, a double imperative, really. Don't be the judge. Trust the judge. Don't play the role of the judge of Neighbors or family members, trust the one who judges all things and judges them well. Now, we need to remember that James is writing to a church in conflict. We came across this in the beginning of chapter 4 where he says, those conflicts, those disputes you have among you, where do they come from? And he's dealing with covetousness and things like that. It seems that this kind of attitude of Setting oneself up as judge among the community is kind of being the one that gets to decide who's in the right and who's wrong. James wants to deal with that because he sees that as contributing to the conflict as well. So the, con- the context here is one of conflict. This idea of people stepping into the role of the judge comes up in a couple of different places. It comes up in chapter 4, verse 11 and 10, or verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, he says, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another judges someone. So 
We can step into this role where we're acting in the place of sovereign judge by the way we use our words. We'll dig into that in a minute. It says, whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And so God's standards, God's law, God's word plays into this somehow. Got to flesh that out a little bit. Verse 12, there's one lawgiver and judge. <laughs> and the implication is it's not you or me. Who is it? It's the God revealed in Jesus who is the one lawgiver and judge. So James wants us to understand there's one who rightly holds that role and many who maybe try to hold it, but do so in the wrong. He mentions the role of judge again in 5.9. says the judge is standing at the door. He wants to draw our eyes to Jesus, the one who always judges rightly and justly with equity. Don't be the judge. Don't play the judge. Trust the judge. So when do we, when do, we do it? How do we know when we're kind of sliding into that role? And it's helpful to think about it because we do it really without thinking about it, don't we? All right, so James says, look, you've got God's perfect law. You've got God's standard. You've got God's word. And God is the only one who, who God in Christ is the only one who stands in that role of sovereign judge. And his word to us is the revelation of his standard. So when we step into a role where we're the ones creating the standards, you can bet that we're usurping God's authority there. Right? So this is what happens, right? When, when, when we feel judged, right? we walk in that room and people are kind of looking at us and we're like, what is, you know, is my shirt button crooked or something? That's my greatest fear when I'm preaching or something. I'll get up here and this one will be in that hole or something. And, you know, what, what, what are they looking at? You know, is, is my hair parted on the wrong side or is there like something on my face and you know and we're worried that someone in the room has created a standard that we don't live up to that's what's going on when we experience this kind of judgment we feel this judgmentalism they don't they don't think that we live up to their standards and when and here's the key it's easy to it's easy to feel that from other people if we want to be spiritually perceptive if we want to hear what God wants to say to us, and if we want to see Jesus through His Spirit transform our character, we need to be willing to turn that around and say, you know, Lord, I wonder if you can help me see when I do that to other people. That's what James is after here, right? right? Don't speak evil against another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You've taken the law, right? which is... Filled. If you read through the Old Testament, it's filled with stuff on how you relate to people in your community well. It's filled with material on how you relate to vulnerable, vulnerable people. It's, how you, it's filled with material on how you relate to people who work for you. It's filled with material on how you relate to your family, parents, children. Just filled with commandments and standards on how human beings just should regard one another. And in contrast to the other 
legal systems in the ancient Near East, the Hebrew law from God was a big step in the right direction. Vulnerable people in other societies had protections and were taken care of in ways in the Old Testament law that you would never see in other societies. So James says God is a standard, and his standard is all about how you, it's how you relate to him, but it's how you relate to each other as well. In fact, you may have noticed, if you take the Ten Commandments, the first four are really about how we relate to God, you know, idolatry and worshiping God only. And then when you get to the last six, he kind of switches gears, and it's things like, hey, you know, don't covet people's stuff, and honor your parents, and don't lie to people around you. And it's all about how we relate to each other. And so James says, look, you know, when you step in and begin to speak evil of the people around you, you are renegotiating the standards. We're, we're making it look like God's standards don't apply to us, because See, that's what we're doing, isn't it? When we, when we experience judgmentalism and somebody else has a standard that we feel like we don't live up to, we turn that around, do the diagnostic work. If I'm engaging in that sort of thing and somebody isn't living up to my standards for whatever it is, right, I'm stepping over that boundary saying, you know what, God, you've got your standard, but it's not sufficient in this setting. I'm going to replace it with my standards, and I'll play the role of the judge. James says when you do that, you're judging the law, God's word. How do you think God feels about that? <laughs> I, don't think he's, I don't think he's for it. And he's given his word to make himself known. He's given his word to order the life of his people, to reveal his character. To help us know who he is and what he's about. When we set that on the side and kind of come up with our own standards and regulations, then we're stepping into a dangerous place where we're usurping the authority of God and God alone to act as universal sovereign judge. He mediates his authority through his word in the scriptures. We don't want to, that's not a that's not a line we want to step over. We do it all the time without even thinking about it. We want to allow James to open our eyes to those kinds of things. So when we get to work in the morning, <laughs> we get up and we do it with our kids, we do it with our spouses, do it with our colleagues, do it in the church. The church got lots of standards. <laughs> they don't. Uh, yeah. We've been in those kinds of settings, haven't we? James says, "Don't play that role. Trust God to be the one who will always judge rightly. Don't be the judge. Trust the judge." If we play the role of judge when we make it look like God's standards don't apply to us, we also play the role of judge when we're impatient or discontent with the circumstances he's given to us. 
This comes up. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. Farmer waits for precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Don't grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. There's that language again. Because the judge, the one judge, not you, but God in Christ, is standing at the door. So what's going on here? Look, the, the, it appears there's some folks who are impatient and grumbling about whatever's going on. And again, you can kind of fill in the blank. We don't know the specifics. We don't know the details of what's going on in the life of the church to which James is writing. But we can get an idea for the kinds of things that are going on here. There some, we've heard about the disputes in chapter 4. Now there's this, hey, quit grumbling in chapter 5. Be patient with each other. Don't you know Jesus is coming? The Lord is coming. The, the judge is coming. So just hang in there. Your circumstances may not be ideal. They may not feel ideal to you. It may not be exactly what you want. It's things going on and, and it's painful. And, but don't you know the Lord is at work? And He's at work in what seem to us to be less than ideal circumstances. I mean, how many times in life if I've been presented with a, with, with a situation I would change, very less than ideal, very much not what I would want from my life, and nevertheless, in hindsight, I can look back and say, you know, Jesus, was it worth it? Yes, it was painful. Yes, there was suffering. Yes, I mean, I laid awake at night. Yes, I wept. Yes, I was filled with sorrow and filled with grief. People I loved were hurt from those circumstances. And they're not fair. And nevertheless, somehow, in surprising ways, Jesus was at work for good things. You see, when we step into the role of judge, say, you know what? <laughs> We're saying, Jesus, you're, you're, you're not really wise enough to call the shots in this season of my life because things are a mess. So I'm just going to take that role myself and you can just take a back seat and I'll handle it. When we do that, try to hold on to control without trusting Jesus patiently that he's at work for our good and for his glory. We step into that role of usurping his authority as the one who's able to judge well and right. And we put ourselves in a position to miss the good things he wants to do. Ever done that? Ever put yourself in a position to miss good things that Jesus wants to do in your life? Yeah. We step into that role of judge when we look at our circumstances and say, you know what? I got to be in control of this because clearly the Lord is not. <laughs> He's not doing what I want him to do. So James says, be patient, don't grumble. Remember Job? He had a rough go of it. Be patient. Trust the one who judges what is right. We, uh, we step into this role of judge when we try to control the future, don't we? 
This uh, passage, I was thinking about this this morning. James 4, 13, next couple of verses. Come you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. It says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wishes. Some translations say if the Lord wills. I remember this because as a child, I remember almost every time I said, hey, let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, let's do this. I remember my grandmother saying, if the Lord wills. Maybe you had a grandmother like that. <laughs> She'd been reading James, it felt like, every day. But it was a, it was a good reminder, that, like, kid, you're not in control. And sometimes, <laughs> a grown man, you're not in control. That's what I need to hear. If the Lord wills. And James understands that like, the more wealth we have, the more of an issue this is. Because the more stuff we have, the more security we can purchase, the more insurance we can buy, the more kind of corporate security or vocational security we have, like the more we feel like we are in control. Like I've, done, I've taken the steps that I need to take to make sure that I'm taken care of, my family's taken care of, and I've just, it's nice and neat and it's packaged up and I can keep it in a filing cabinet. James says, don't forget your life is a mist. Don't think you're in control. Don't be the judge. Don't play the judge. Trust him, the one who is sovereignly in control of all things. Trust him. If you can do that, you're in a better position. I'm in a better position. We are in a better position to make every moment count. Like if we can keep it in front of us that the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign, is the only one who is fit or qualified to play the role of judge of all things, if we can, if we can keep that in front of us, if He can keep it in front, we are in a position to make every moment count because then we're not plotting <laughs> our ascendancy to greatness or whatever. We are in a place to trust Him. You know what, Lord? I wasn't expecting these circumstances today, but I'm wondering if there's something you want to do in this. You know, Lord, my calendar had a whole different list of things to do, but I'm wondering in this frustration, in this disturbance, if you are acting as sovereign judge and if you want to be at work to renew me in some way and work through me in some way. And here's the thing, if we can keep our eyes on him, we'll know it's not a matter of if he wants to be at work in that way. He always wants to be at work in those ways. So we need to guard against this effort to control the future. That's one of the ways that we usurp the authority of Jesus, the universal judge. So what does it look like to trust him instead of usurping his authority? Well, we've talked about exhibiting patience. That's one way. There are others for James. He points to the prophets who were faithful amongst different challenges. Elijah and others. 
And if we do that, it, it's a reminder that we really need to be taking the long view on things. It's very easy for us to kind of get into the moment and say, you know what, it's got to happen, it's got to happen now, we got to do it, we don't want to lose the moment. And sometimes, yeah, you need the flexibility, you need to be nimble to act. But one thing I'm beginning to learn after about 15 years in ministry is that we need to be taking the long view. <laughs> like The Lord Jesus Christ is interested in sustained, long-term fruitfulness for his church. Seasons come, seasons go. Things, ha things are in flux. Things are changing. There are times we'll have our preferences and times we will not. That's true for preachers just as much as it is for anybody else. None of us always get what we want. But Jesus is always at work. And if we can learn to allow his Holy Spirit to cultivate the sort of patience James describes here, that's the opposite of that, I'm in control, I'm going to do what i got to do to make it work, i gotta, I got to make it happen. And those of us who are in positions of leadership feel that temptation strongly. Some of you are in positions of leadership. Maybe it's a business or maybe it's a position of leadership here in the church and you feel that tension. We, we've got to get We've got to make it happen. And Jesus wants to, to just say, you know what? You don't. O'Reilly, you don't have to make it happen. Let me make it happen. Be patient. It's one of the ways we trust Jesus to fill that role of judge. It's by just kind of saying, all right. Not how I do it. <laughs> but I'm going to trust you, Jesus. It's your church after all. Trust the Lord Jesus. Let's take the long view. Let's see what he wants to do over the long haul. Don't expect it to happen overnight. We trust Jesus as judge when we confess our sin. James deals with confession because he understands that that's a way of saying, you know what, it's not my job to define the standards, it's Jesus' job. And when we confess the ways we fall short of those standards, we are acknowledging that Jesus is the one who defines them. And we're really just agreeing with him, aren't we? Like if I confess sin, you know, Lord, there's this covetousness in my heart, that's one James deals with big time, then I'm agreeing with Jesus about the content of the standard. And I'm agreeing with Jesus about the state of my soul. And I'm trusting him. the reality of my life. A confession of sin is a way of saying, you know what, Jesus, I trust you enough that I can be thoroughly transparent and honest with you and still trust that you love me and have what's best for me. And when we refuse to confess, when we're like, hey, you know, there's stuff in my life and I know it's there and I'm going to hide it from Jesus, or as if you can, but that's what we act that way, <laughs> then we're saying, I don't trust you with this. Like, I can't, let you see what's really in my heart. And the implication is we're saying, Jesus, I don't trust your love for me. I'm going to keep this back. James wants his people to confess. Patience, confession are expressions of trust. And here's the thing, friends. And it's crucial. Jesus is worthy of that trust. He's worthy of it. 
And we know he's worthy of it because we have the cross. The cross as the symbol, the reality of Jesus' unfailing love for rebels. When we held him at arm's length, when we were his enemies, he died for us. Friends, if you do somebody wrong and they die for you, you can trust that person. Jesus didn't go to the cross because it was comfortable or fun. He went because his life is saturated with perfect love. Holy love, abundant love. And that abundant, perfect, holy love has us as its object. That's why you can trust him. You can trust him with the long term. You can trust him when you confess your sin. Right? Because he, he already knows about it, and he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to shed to heal him. Somebody's going to suffer for you? You can trust them. What really blows me away, and you see this in the Gospels, like we, we really sometimes want to sanitize Jesus and make him you know, kind of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and he's a nice guy, and he wouldn't really hurt anybody's feelings, and he's just, he's just kind of cool with it. But if we read the Gospels, Jesus is the one who's saying, <laughs> one day I'm going to judge all of you, and some of you I'll send to my right, and some of you I'll send to my left, and some of you I'll say, welcome into the kingdom, and some of you I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's not gentle, meek, and mild, right? <laughs> Maybe it's meek. It's probably not mild. I mean, that's the portrait of Jesus we get in the Gospels. He, pre he presents himself. It's not just his follower. He presents himself as sovereign judge. And then he goes to the cross so that you can wind up in his kingdom. The guy who says, I'm going to decide. I will make the judgment. I will call it. Lays down his life suffers, is tortured to death so that we don't have to end up on the left departed from him unknown by him can you trust him? of course you can trust him he's made every sacrifice for us he's laid down his life for us he longs to say, come to me. I want to know you. I want to be, have you in my kingdom. I want you to be my representatives. I want to make you whole. I want to take those dark places in your heart. I want to heal them. I want to take the brokenness. I want to restore it. I want to take the sin. I want to forgive it. And I've gone to the cross to make it happen. And still, we, we usurp his 
position and insist that we know better and renegotiate his standards and and all of that is saying we don't trust you we don't trust your love we don't trust your goodness we don't trust your mercy we don't trust you and jesus is saying put your hands in my scars and know 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 beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can trust me trust So that's the invitation. Stop playing God. Let's, let's agree. <laughs> All of us will stop playing God by playing judge. Let's let the Holy Spirit, let's invite the Holy Spirit to illumine those moments when we are creating standards that are not grounded in the standards of the Scriptures. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to comfort us when we experience the hurt of judgmentalism, but to convict us when we engage in it. And let's invite Jesus to draw our faces to His face, our eyes to His eyes, and see there the compassion that He brings to us. And the perfect love that makes him perfectly trustworthy. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.